Welcome to the podcast of Revival Life Church, a spirit-filled multicultural church in Boca Raton, Florida. If you would like more information about Revival Life Church or Pastor Carl Thomas, you can find us on the web at revivallife.church. Hey, we're, we're receiving the Lord's table at the end of service. Uh, we will have ushers to serve you. If you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 13. And if you've not joined us for intercession, uh, I would encourage you and I would challenge you if you consider this to be your church home, if uh, you consider me to be your pastor, do not pass up opportunities to pray with your pastor. So it's on uh, tonight on Zoom at uh, 7 o'clock. The link will be on the front page of the website. We will pray some uh, prayers together. We'll pray some psalms together. We will pray for one another. Get in the habit of praying with other believers. Amen? If you're able to, get on and share it. You can just do it by phone or you can do it by video. I'll put both. Uh, maybe you don't want to turn your camera on. That's fine. We're okay with that. Today is uh, Communion Sunday, also known as Eucharist in most of the church. So uh, much of the church will call this a Eucharistic Sunday. And I have uh, two goals today. I want us to prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's table at the end of service. And I want us to prepare our hearts for what the Lord is doing in our midst. Uh, I... I, I, I love Jesus, if I could just tell you that. I don't always understand Jesus. Can you say amen? I love Jesus, but I don't always understand him. But I do know that he is good. I don't understand the steps he takes in the process at all times. But that's where faith comes in. That's where my faith, knowing that he is a good God and his desire is for my benefit, and so I follow him in the process, knowing he has never, ever led me anywhere bad, ever. Can you say amen to that? And so today, we're, we're going we're gonna to unpack some scripture to see what some possibly confusing things might mean for us both today in our life, in uh, American society today, and uh, in our relationship to the kingdom. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 13. We have a a fairly famous passage of Scripture we're going to go over today if you've been reading the Bible. Matthew chapter 13, we're going to start in verse 24. And this is the parable of the wheat and tares. I had debated whether or not we were going to read this together, but for those who are a little bit newer to read the Bible, we're all going to read this. If you didn't bring your Bible today, we'll have it up on the overhead. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 24, it says, Jesus presented another parable. Now, a parable is a story that is supposed to communicate something else, right? So he tells stories to teach lessons. Let me, let, me, let me take a side note here. As we study the scriptures, we recognize that not everything Jesus said is to be taken literally. Not everything he said is to be taken literally because he used parables. As he said right here in the scripture, this is a parable that Jesus told. So how do we know what Jesus really wants and what his character really is. Well, we're going to have to go beyond the Bible and actually know Jesus. We're going to actually have to have a relationship with Jesus to understand what the parables mean. There's a great, uh, there's a great resurgence or a great um, wave in uh, Western culture today to take all the mystery out of the Bible and to read everything Literally, but we read right here that this is not to be taken literally, but we're supposed to dig in it to find the hidden meaning in the story. We find that grandparents like to tell stories. And if you know any older people, they'll tell a story and you'll stand there and you'll be like, wait, I don't, sorry, I don't, I'm like, wait, what? I don't understand what any of this means. What, what was the story? What was the point? What, what, what were we getting to? I don't even know the cultural references you're talking about. I don't, can you explain it to me? And every now and then, Jesus would explain the parable to his disciples, but more often than not, he didn't. And you would say, why? Why would Jesus not? Well, you see, Jesus promised that when he left, the Holy Spirit would come, and the Holy Spirit would bring understanding to things that Jesus taught. And so not only do we need Jesus' teachings, we need the Holy Spirit to unlock the truth behind those teachings. Amen. Jesus did not send us a book to replace us knowing him. We got to know him. This book points that you better know him or you're going to get it all wrong. Amen. All right. So here in, in Matthew chapter 13, it says Jesus presented another parable to them saying the kingdom of heaven 
may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landover came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The slave said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, for while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather, gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. Can you say amen to the reading of the word? Amen, amen, amen. One of the ways I have seen the Holy Spirit moving in our community is a hunger for the word. There's a hunger to understand the word, to read the word, to consume the word. And I love that, not because I love the Bible, but because I know God speaks through the word of God to us. And a people who are hungry for the word are a people who are hungry for Jesus. And so we read this thing, and what I've heard more and more is, Pastor, if I've learned anything in this last year, that when we read the Bible, we have to understand context. Context, context, context. We have to understand context. So we're reading here about a farmer who planted a crop, and in the midst of it, the enemy planted weeds. And Jesus says, don't pull out the weeds because you might, hear, you might hurt the crop. Now, what in the world is Jesus saying here? we got to pause for a second, and we have to recognize that we do not understand what's going on in the Bible. It comes to a place of maturity where you just read the Bible, and you're like, wait a minute. That doesn't make any sense at all. What, what, I, I better, like, there, I'm sure there's something in this for me. I need to figure out what this means. Now, Jesus, of course, is talking to people who are unlike us. He's talking to a people group who did not have Publix to just go and get all the cow they wanted, right? You can't just go to the produce section and buy your produce. He's talking to farmers and, and fishermen, right? These are people who know the land. They know how to, how to raise crops. They know how to um, raise their own food. They understand how things work. And, 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 and he's telling them, these people who know how to raise crops, these professional farmers, not to pick the weeds, excuse me, not to pick the weeds in the midst of the crop that they want, which sounds crazy. You see, there's, there's many problems with weeds. Weeds grow up and they, they steal the nutrients out of the ground from the crops that you want. Weeds often grow faster than the things you want to grow. And they block out the sun from the things that you want to get the sun. I am a bit of a gardener myself, not a very successful one, but I'm a bit of a gardener. And the biggest problem I have is not bugs, but weeds. Weeds never give up. Weeds are constantly coming at me. I am constantly weeding my garden. And I've tried to get my children in love with gardening, not because I want them to love gardening, but I want them to hate weeds. I want them to see weeds as the enemy in my garden. So they would pull the weeds out of my garden and make my plants look good. They're, they're unwanted growth. And they're, they're normally obvious. I, I, grow, I grow very specific plants, and in the plants are other things growing that are clearly not the plant. It's not hard to differentiate in South Florida between your grass and the weeds. I remember when we bought our house, uh, I talked to somebody and I was like, okay, how do I, how do I get my lawn to look like a lawn? Because right now it looks like an abandoned lot. How, how do I make it look like a lawn? And the man came to me and he said, you got two options. Number one, you can uh, use lots of chemicals and pay a service to come and kill all the weeds. And so that you just have the most perfect grass out there. Or you can just water it a lot and cut it down and be happy that your front yard is green. I said, I'm going with B, right? Because B sounds a lot cheaper. And so from the street, you look at my lawn, it looks amazing. You walk up on my lawn, you're like, this doesn't all look like grass. I'm like, just look up, look up, look up, look up. Just look here, look here. The, the grass is green, we're good to go, right? Like that's, 
That's it. Because it's not, it's not like I have to eat this grass. It's not like, it's not like I'm making money on it. It's just, it's, it's, it's just to make my house look prettier. So if it's green, I'm happy with it. But if you're a farmer, looking good isn't good enough, right? If we're trying to grow something in our faith, it just looking like we're spiritual is not enough, right? We want to actually have a Christian faith. We don't just want a faith, amen? We don't just want to be spiritual, amen? We want to be Christians filled with the Spirit of God. And there's, there's false spiritualities out there. And we want to be able to discern between real God-breathed spirituality and carnality, which looks like spirituality, but is really just an illusion. It's really just a delusion. It's just a fantasy. It's not real Christianity. Now, why would you care about that, Pastor? Why, As long as somebody's life is getting better and they're feeling good and they have a purpose, as long as you're being good to other people, that's all God really cares about. That's beautiful, but I don't know what Bible you're reading because that is not what Jesus said in the Bible. Jesus said there's only one way to the Father, and that is through the Son. And we need to have a relationship with the God who created us because he is the only one who can fulfill what we were created for. That's it. That's the only thing. I, I, I can get a bowl and put it outside and plant a plant in it, but that bowl is not fulfilling its purpose. Its purpose was to hold my delicious cereal that I will eat every breakfast. If you put your fine china outside to catch rainwater, you are not using it for its intended purpose. You're using it for a purpose but it's not being fully redeemed for its purpose. And God created us with a purpose, and it's only God that can redeem that purpose. Now, this process is slow. It's not, it's not a lottery. It's not a, you know, you put in five cents and you get out 10 cents. It's, it's not a direct, if I, if I go to church these two weeks, then those two weeks I'll have a good week. It's not, it's not how it works. It's, if, if you don't eat for a month or a month and a half in your teenage years, or maybe you're starved through your whole childhood, it's not till you get older when you find out that your life is completely worn down and you don't have as long of an existence because of the, 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 the turmoil you put your organs through. They, they found that people who were starved in concentration camps, by and large, died younger because the malnutrition puts a, such a terrible taxing on their body, it's not till years later that they find out, oh my gosh, I'm sick and I'm going to die young. Many people who are exposed to chemotherapy or too much um, radiation at a certain season, much later in life, they develop leukemia. Uh, many of the soldiers in the Vietnam War were spread with Agent Orange, and it's not till many years they got back later and they began suffering bizarre cancers. It's not a, if I be good this week, God will be good for me this week. It's a, I live a lifestyle of sowing into the goodness of God. So in the long term, when things aren't going well, the goodness is still chasing me down because I have so much seed in the ground with God. Does this make sense? This is why we want to stay faithful to God. We stay faithful to God so we can walk in his faithfulness all our life. And so we have this, this parable. We got to figure out what is what is Jesus talking about? Well, well, you know, normally weeds are obvious. We know the stuff we're not trying to grow, and we know the stuff we're trying to grow. But here we have in this parable, we have weeds, and we have, we have wheat, or, or, or the wheat and what they call the tares. Um, why can't we pick out the weeds? Well, the weeds that Jesus is talking about here is a very specific weed that grows among wheat. It's called the darnel. The darnel. And I got a picture of the darnel. See, there's a problem with the darnel. In, in the wheat and the tares, darnels look like wheat up until the very end. Do you have that picture there, Anastasia? Is it ready to fly? It, 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 it's coming by the Spirit. The Lord is bringing it right now. There's warfare, as Daniel said, over for his. So the, the darnel looked just like wheat. It's a weed, but it looks just like wheat. And so while it's growing, you can't tell the difference between the young weeds and the young wheat. Now, you want the wheat, but you don't want the weeds. And you don't know that you got false crop until, until the very end, until the ears start showing up. Here's what's funny about the difference between wheat and the tares. The wheat, of course, is the bedrock nutrient for much of the world that in rice, but darnels, darnels look like wheat, but they're poisonous. 
They're poisonous and, and they, they cause you to hallucinate. They cause you to see things that aren't actually there. They'll cause you to see reality in a way that is not true. There's a prophetic sign to this entire teaching that Jesus is giving here. He's saying, listen, 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 you can't tell the end. You can't tell the end result until the end result. Thank you, Anastasia. So we have here Darnell's and false wheat, wheat and false wheat. We have life and counterfeit life. And Jesus is saying, now we're not talking about wheat here. We're talking about people. We're talking about people. We have wheat and then we have seed sown by the enemy. The enemy sowed the seed. The enemy sowed the false seed, the Bible tells us. Jesus tells us, Anastasia, put it up if you would, please. The enemy sows the false seed. Now, we like to think that our problem is people. Our problem is not people. Our problem is the enemy who sows false seed in our life. In the midst of our garden that we're trying to raise here, we got all kind of other things growing up that look spiritual but are not Christian. And the enemy put them there. That's all the enemy generally has to do, have you noticed? The enemy doesn't necessarily have to bring a big warfare against you. He'll just sow a couple seeds. The times that I have seen people be the most sinful and destructive to the church of Jesus Christ, they don't come right out and be honest. Listen, I'm bitter and I want to be in charge. No, no, that's not what they do. They sow little seeds of doubt. They sow little seeds of confusion. Oh, I just I just heard I'm just wondering about the I'm just I'm just have we thought about, you know, I, I think maybe, you know, is, is this this really good? Because I think that they, they don't actually have any moral fortitude. They don't have any ground to stand on morally. So what they do is they go the way of the enemy and they start sowing seeds of doubt, seeds of confusion. God tells us that he is not the author of Confusion, but you know, the enemy, he works in confusion. And then we learned earlier that the enemy sows confusion and the satanic offers us a false deliverance. If you get nothing else out of this message today, I want you to know that God never works through sin. God never has to work through sin to get his plan accomplished. This is what the satanic does. The satanic says, well, I know murder is wrong, but we're going to have to kill some people for our country to be good. N no, that's the devil. That is a failure of imagination. That's a failure of having a sanctified mind. Gossip is sin, amen? You can't gossip for Jesus. No one can tell you, hey, I'm going to tell you this, but don't tell the person. You say, no, no, that's sin. That's gossip. God does not work through gossip. This is sin. And God does not need sin. God works in the light. He does not work in the darkness. He does not sow darkness to bring about His plan. He brings light to situations. Come on, somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amen. 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 I want you to walk confidently. You do not have to get in the shadows. See, when we were lost, and we were on our own before Jesus came to save us, we might have to do some shady things. We might have to hide some things that happened. We might work in some subterfuge, or we might work behind the scenes. But Jesus comes along and says, listen, I'm in the light. If you'll stand in the light with me, then you get all the fruit of the Spirit. But the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit are the works of the flesh. And it lists everything we do not want in our lives as the work of the flesh. And so if someone comes, you and says, hey, don't tell anybody I told you. He said, no, no, no. We need to tell somebody right now because I see you need deliverance. The enemy is at work in your life trying to get you to operate in darkness. And come on, if one class, we all clap. Come on. And, 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 and the enemy is working in your life that somehow you're thinking the darkness is better than the light, brother. I love you too much to leave this in darkness. We got to bring this to light together. You need, you need deliverance. You need healing. You need the love of God in your life where you think you got to operate in the shadows. I'm sorry that you've lost your trust in Jesus. I'm sorry that somehow you think that you need to come on and do something that Jesus would never do to bring about what you call your plan, but it's not God's plan. We got to 
we got to submit to the way God does things. We got to submit to the to, to God's um, to His uh, His hierarchy of ethics. We cannot come up with our own hierarchy of ethics. We can't come up with our own ethos. We can't recreate what we think should happen. We have to submit ourselves to the ways of God. And this is why Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is like this. And so, what does that mean? What does that mean? We have, we have these seeds that the enemy sows. These seeds of doubt, these seeds of confusion. And we get consumed with people who did us wrong to the point that the damage is still happening way after they left. Have you ever noticed that? They come and they drop a couple demonic seeds in your life and they walk off. And these seeds just keep growing in our lives way past the event. Maybe, maybe, maybe you even had some sort of role in the entire thing, but still they, they drop some seeds in your life that just continue to grow and they just wander off. They're, they're, not, they're not brave enough to actually do the work. They just sow a little confusion and leave. They, they run away. That's how you know it's the devil. They do some stuff and then they abandon you. Here, deal with this. And some of us today may be sitting in this room saying, Pastor, if there's wheat in the midst of my, if there's weeds in the midst of my wheat, I want it torn out, and Jesus is trying to teach us something here. What do, we, what do we do after the enemy sows these weeds in the midst of our wheat? He has some people in our lives who are not as godly. He has the godly people in our lives. And the church has people in it that are not as godly as some of the people who are out actually after Jesus. This is, he says, there's people. These are people. Some are wheat. Some are tares. Jesus says, don't, don't rip out the tares yet. And we say, why? Watch this. Verse 29 but he said, no, for while you're gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. So he says, allow them both to grow together. This is why, Jesus, why? This certainly isn't the way we're taught in America to deal with bad people. In America, we're taught to deal with bad people radically. Cut them off, ghost them, get them out of your life. Once you've found out there's something wrong with somebody, make sure nobody's friends with them, go ahead and just, 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 just cut them off. This, and Jesus says, no, that's not how we do that. Why, 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 why not? Okay, so this, this, this word here, as we, as we look in verse 30, put it up if you, again if you would. He says, allow them both to grow. That, that word allow, the root is a fet. It's, it's to allow, a fet. And we find this same word, I'm not, a, I'm not a, 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 a Greek expert by any stretch of the imagination, but the same word, effet, is, is when he raised Lazarus from the dead, he said to the disciples, he, he said, loose him and let him go, effet, effet, let him go, allow him to live, permit him to be free. This is the same word as allow them both to grow. It can also mean, interesting enough, not only allow, it also can mean forgive. And we find this same word in the prayer the Lord told us to recite where he says, where we forgive those who sin against us. We are to affect them. Forgive those who have sinned against us. Allow them to remain. Now, this is not an encouraging word, Pastor. I would like the Psalms that talk about, Lord, curse those people who've come against me. Why have you not struck them down yet? Why have you not tortured them? But God is after something here. God is after something bigger. What's, what's Jesus doing here? Does he want us to suffer evil people? Does he want us to allow evil to exist? Does he think that our sin is not a big deal? No, no, that's not at all. Jesus is inviting us to participate in the culture of heaven. heaven heaven's not, we, we get this idea of heaven as being the place where God lives, as in there's earth and then there's, there's heaven. Like uh, God is stuck in heaven and we're stuck in earth and one day we'll go from earth to heaven. You got to understand, God is not created. God has always existed, right? We can agree on that, yeah? Okay, the earth has not always existed. Can we agree on that? Heaven also has not always existed. God created heaven and God created earth. Heaven is the unseen realm where God dwells. 
he, out of his mercy for us, manifested himself as his son, Jesus Christ, so that he could lead us in the way of God, that we could emulate the culture that we can't see with our natural eyes. My wife, if you were here for uh, the ladies gathering, uh, gave a powerful word. I, she preached it to me before this powerful word by the tree, by the living waters. No, no, come on. Just if we're going to give some honor. Let's honor Pastor Tracy. And she talked about our source, our source being from an unseen realm. When we're in a world that is constantly giving us pictures of what we should aspire to, heaven gives us a picture of our source and our measuring stick and our life is actually judged, measured, and fed in the unseen realm. We can't judge by what we see. We judge by the unseen. And our source does not come from our job. It comes from our connection to God underneath like a root that taps underground into rivers of living water. And so the Jesus is trying to tell us something here. He's trying to tell us something in the midst of these people that are sown in the midst of a good congregation. He's saying it's 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 not again, it's not God's in heaven and we're on earth and God created this separation. This sun and these seen and unseen realms are all around us at the same time. And sometimes the unseen realm breaks into the seen realm. Sometimes heaven breaks in to earth and we get a glimpse of how God views our issues and how he wants us to react to them. Now, this is complicated. This is complicated and this is hard because it's a lot easier to just do things the way according to the world we see. Is this making sense to anybody yet? We, we are trained our entire life in the ways of the world. Maybe you had a, a mom who was abused by her husband and she constantly tells you, listen, you cannot trust men. That is them, according to the seen realm, training you. Or you have parents who say, you need to get that dollar because this life is all about money. You are being trained in the unseen realm or maybe you were grown by people pleasers and they didn't care about your feelings and they made you hug people you didn't want to hug and made you be nice to people who weren't nice to you invited people to your birthday party you didn't even want there because they are being trained by a seen realm and not the unseen realms this makes sense we're being we're being discipled by a world with its own agenda and jesus comes along and says there is an agenda in heaven and it looks nothing like the agenda on earth when when this unseen realm breaks into the seen realm this is what salvation is salvation is is god transcends this 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 natural world that's all about us being in competition with one another and we find out that there is someone who came who never competed with us he loved us unconditionally and he even gave up his life for us so that he could be resurrected by the father that if we put faith in him we would have everlasting life with God the Father. This is what salvation is. It's a, it's a momentary instance of understanding the heavenly realm, the heavenly ethos, the heavenly system of how things are supposed to be run. And if you have put your faith in Jesus, you have caught a glimpse of what this unseen realm looks like. But it's not just for your salvation. God has given us this glimpse because it's supposed to color our entire life. It's like a little leaven in the dough, Jesus said. The kingdom of heaven is like a little leaven. It gets in you and it's supposed to then begin to affect our whole life. This how we see the world is supposed to be affected by this little transcendent moment of seeing heaven. Is this making sense? I was knee deep in the charismatic nonsense of the last 20 years and I began to get a little jaded, if I could be honest with you. I never lost faith in miracles, Duke. I never lost faith in God doing the impossible. Never, never, never once. What I got jaded by was the people who said that they saw this the most. I didn't see a kingdom mindset in their hearts. When, when the racial issues happened in the United States and the political issues started going crazy, I did not see compassion come from them. I saw the most vile worldliness being embraced by them. I, I, I saw racism and anti-Semitism. I saw misogyny. I saw these power politics 
being fully embraced. And I said, have you not seen the kingdom of God? I understand you can lay hands on the sick and see him recover, but there is something greater than that. This is the way of the kingdom. And has your heart been converted? How do, you, how do you claim to spend time in heavenly places and you haven't met the king of heaven? What is going on here? And I got a little jaded, if I could be honest with you. I began to question what spirit some of these people were operating under because we know there's false signs and we know there's false wonders. And, and it was in my heart to cut many of these people off. And this is what Jesus is talking about. You can't rip out what you think to be weeds too early. You got to wait. Jesus will decide who is wheat and who is tares. Come on, somebody. Had to have a little recalibration of my heart and where I stood in the kingdom. What my role was and what God's role was. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, oh, I'm not done with you either, Carl. <laughs> not done with them either. Amen. Genesis chapter 28, we read about Jacob. And Jacob, of course, was not a good person, if we can be honest about it. Jacob is, is evidence that you don't got to earn God's favor. Like it just, when it happens, it happens, right? And, and Jacob was on the run. He's running for his life. Aren't you thankful you ain't got to earn it? Amen. Jacob was running for his life. He did some bad things and his brother was after him. It's a, it's a wild story. And um, while he's on the run, the Bible says he was in a, in a certain place. And he gets to this certain place and he lays down. This is in Genesis 28, if I didn't say that already. We'll be there in a second. He lays down and he uses his rock as a pillow. Now, this is, this is, this is, this is where, where you got to be in life when you use a rock as a pillow. Think about that for a second. Laying on the ground, it's the desert, like maybe a pile of sand, maybe some sticks, I don't know, something. But he uses a rock as a pillow. Now, I need you to hear this from a prophetic sense. Some of you are in such chaos, you're finding that rocky pillow is comfortable. Sometimes we live in such madness that we're more comfortable in the conflict than we are in the peace of God. Sometimes we're so ingrained in worldliness that we find righteousness to be uncomfortable. And so instead of resting in the peace of God and, and walking in God's ways, we're living with a rock as a pillow, wondering why our neck got a crick in it. And God is like, listen. You are in a rough place that you have called my place, but that is not my place. You're running from enemies that you don't need to be running from, and you're running toward a God who is already with you, and you're living in a place of discomfort because you won't just follow God's plan. Come on, somebody. You hear what I'm telling you right now? And so you meet people. I know, I know Chelsea and I have talked about this so many times, and, and she'll go into these women's shelters, and she'll talk to people and say, well, why are you still with this man? And she's like, but he loves me. And we'll be like, men who love you don't hit you. Men who love you don't cheat on you. Men who love you don't treat you this way. This is not what love is. I've met a man. And he loves me unconditionally. And he'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. He'll never turn his word on me. He'll never use me. He'll never abuse me. This is the love that we measure every other love against. And what you're calling love is not love. You're laying on a rock and calling it a pillow because you've never known what a real pillow feels like. And Jesus comes along and says, I'd like to take the rock from you and give you the pillow so you could have a little comfort. You're like, no, 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 no. The, the rock is all I have known. And God is like, I'm going to have to get you on the run before you'll accept what I have for you. I got to wear you down a little bit so you'll finally receive my goodness. Does anybody know what I'm talking about right now? Have you noticed in the midst of your conflict, in the midst of your hardest times, sometimes that's when you encounter Jesus? So Jacob is running. Jesus is like, it's going to be different. I'm going to find you in the midst of your stress. It's funny, people are like, oh, these jailhouse conversions, these 
rehab conversions. Man, I tell you what, sometimes when you're at the end of yourself, that's when you're finally open to the unseen realm. You're finally open to what God might have for you. Jacob is running. He's running like a madman. Let me, let me read you some scripture here. Hallelujah. Psalm 139. David learned this. David learned this. David ran. David didn't listen. David tried to do things his own way. It says in Psalm 139, verse 7, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed and shield, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. What is, what, is, what is David saying here? He's like, listen, I have found out that God is not limited to this natural realm. When Jesus came into the earth, it didn't make Jesus unclean. He, he sanctified the earth by his presence. When Jesus got water baptized, it wasn't to wash off his sin. It was to sanctify the water. Wherever God is, it's, it, it's not like that thing. All of a sudden, God is fighting against it. God deifies the thing that he is around. And David is like, since I have a relationship with God, it's impossible for me to get away from him. It's impossible for there to be a space where God has not entered. And this is what we see. We see David was scared just like Jacob in the story is scared. And Jacob finally in his exhaustion goes to sleep on this rock that he had for so long used as a pillow. And we find here in Genesis chapter 28, come on somebody, we find him in verse, <laughs> we see God begins to, to move in the midst of Jacob when he's so exhausted. He starts to sleep. He's so worn down. He can't run anymore. How many of you know that when you fall asleep in your body, your spirit is still awake? Your spirit, man, isn't taking a nap. And sometimes the most telling things that happen in our life happen in our dream life. Because that's when we can't, we can't lie to ourselves in our dreams. Oh, y'all, that's, right. that's all 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 right. You can't lie to yourself in your dreams. You can be like, no, no, I'm not worried at all. I'm not worried at all. And you have nightmares all night long. You can't lie to yourself in your dreams. That's when your real you comes out. And so here's Jacob in the midst of a dream, sleeping on a rock, scared at the end of his rope, fear and anxiety. His spirit man is in chaos. And the Bible says he has a dream. And Psalm 28, verse 15 says he has a dream. And in this dream, there's this ladder. And we like to call it Jacob's ladder. I doubt Jacob built that ladder. Come on, somebody. There's a ladder. And in the ladder... He sees angels ascending and descending. And depending on the version of the Bible you read, either God was next to Jacob or God was standing at the top of the ladder. It's irrelevant. What's important to recognize is God didn't use the ladder. God doesn't need a ladder. Come on, somebody. God didn't need the ladder. God begins to settle Jacob's soul. And he starts in the midst of this dream where he sees the angels ascending and descending, and he sees God, God settles his soul, and God begins to prophesy over Jacob's future. Come on, somebody. He begins to prophesy over his future and tell him that you have a future. Good things are coming into your life. And then he says this in verse 15. He says, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. What place was God in? Was it in that specific physical location? Did he stumble into a portal of heaven, as some people like to say? No, he was right there in your anxiety, Jacob. 
He was right there in your fear. He was right there in your chaos. He was right there in your judgment. He was right there in your bitterness. In your abandonment, God was there. And for us today, in South Florida, with the economic issues and the racial issues and the social issues and so many things going on governmentally and interpersonally and the mental health crisis that we have in Florida right now that's not being talked about and the children who are committing suicide at an alarming rate and the identity politics that we're seeing, God is right here in the midst of it. See, we want to look at people and say, they're the problem. He's the problem. That's the problem. If we can just get rid of that person. No, no, no. It's the devil who has sown these seeds. The enemy is the enemy. Let me say it again. The enemy is the enemy. In your life, the enemy is the enemy. It's not the person he's working through. It's the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. And God, God is <clears throat> working in the midst of this, let me go back to Matthew 13 where we started before we receive the Lord's table. Are you getting anything out of this? <clears throat> I'm in the wrong book. I'm like, why? What? Who moved my scriptures? Okay, here they are. They put them back. Praise God. Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 13, he says, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man, and the field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. The tares are the sons of the evil one. The enemy who sowed them, <clears throat> excuse me, is the devil, verse 39, if you're following along here. <clears throat> and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels and will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Why would he say that? Because this is hard to hear. It's hard to hear that in our lives, we're not called to label people the bad ones and the good ones. At the end of the age, all of our work will be tried by fire. And then Jesus will determine who is the bad person and who is the good person. Until then, we are to keep sowing seeds of love. Sowing seeds of mercy. And hear me, sowing seeds of the gospel. We are to continue to tell these people, this is not the Jesus you speak of that the Bible speaks of. Let me help you out here, brother. I understand that you see in the spirit realm and you can make you know, stardust fall at command, but let's talk about the mercy and goodness of God who loves each person individually, who told us to take in the immigrant and to take care of the poor, to visit those who are in prison and to loose those who are bound in captivity. We are not to cut them off. Listen, election season is coming. Do not blow up Facebook. Do not blow up Twitter with all your hatred, right? Don't just, just let's let's sow seeds of the gospel. As people try to speak for Jesus, you can be bold enough to say, actually, Jesus said this. I hear what you're saying, but Jesus actually said this. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I see what you're saying about those group of people, but Jesus actually said this, and I'm following Jesus. I hope you join me. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. I understand you're calling names and saying that, but Jesus actually told us, don't try to rip out the weak in the midst of the field because you don't know which one's which. The problem is we got a lot of people who have no discernment. And instead of eating wheat, are eating Darnells. And what's happening is in the spirit realm, they're seeing things that aren't actually there. And they're prophesying illusions that are just figments of their own imaginations. This is not something God has told them. This is something that has come straight from their hallucinogenic false gospel that they have received. 
saved. But the cure to that is not to send them to hell. The cure to that is that we tell them the real gospel, who the real Jesus is, who the real Savior is, who the God of love is, who the God of compassion is, who the God of loving kindness is. Can you say amen? This is what we need to do in this coming season is be ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen, amen. Three quick points I want to give you, and then we're going to receive the Lord's table. You're like, Pastor, yes, that was the intro. But the three points are very quick. Very quick. I want you to take this away from you in this season. I just know that there is um, there's a wave of anxiety happening right now. And you don't have to say if it's you or not, but there's a wave of demonic anxiety, unrealistic anxiety. I understand some of us have, have real problems that are stressful, but I'm, there is a level of anxiety and worry and, and, and sleeplessness that is of the evil one. And I would tell you, first one, Anastasia, please, no God is with you. You have to know God is with you. Surely God is in this place. And God is close to you in your anxiety. He is close to you in your fear. He is close to you in your depression. He is close to you in your loneliness. He's close to you in your insomnia and your anxiety, in your depression, and your feeling excluded. He is close to you. Sometimes you've got to tell your own self that. You're going to have to hold on to that truth. You're going to have to hold on to the truth that surely God is in this place. He is working with you to conquer your mountain. He's working with you to cross your valley. He's working with you to slay the giants in your life. Surely God is in this place. You are not alone. And in this season, let's let God help us to see this world the way He sees it. When we are stuck in anxiety and confusion, we are not seeing the kingdom of God. We serve the God who conquered death. Surely He can conquer your housing problem. Surely He can conquer your reputation problem. Surely He can conquer your issue with your family. You see, Lazarus got raised from the dead. Jesus was resurrected. What's the difference? Lazarus is dead. Jesus conquered death. And if Jesus conquered death, He can conquer anything less than death, including any problem I'm going through and any problem that we're going through. Amen? If you're going to conquer it, you need to pray. We need to be in prayer. We need to spend time with Jesus. But listen to this. Put it up in a stage, if you would, please. We've got to pray with the right heart. You've got to pray with the right heart. The parable and the wheat and the tares doesn't tell us to let injustice continue. It doesn't tell us that we can just keep on sinning as an excuse for sin. It wants us to separate sin from the people who perpetuate sin. We can call out the sin without condemning the person. We can be that thin place between heaven and earth where people can encounter God. We don't need to judge people. In the, in the, in the book of Revelation, Revelation is one of the most misinterpreted scriptures of the Bible. I've had more people tell me, I'm just scared to read it so I don't read it. That tells me you don't understand it. Revelation is a song of victory. Revelation is a book that says every time there is warfare, when you look into heaven, there's worship. There's worship constantly happening in heaven. It is a story of the early church overcoming Rome, who was trying to kill all the Christians. Yet the faith of Jesus Christ endures because there is a river of living water that flows that we cannot see. It comes from the throne straight into our bellies and out of our bellies, as we have heard, shall come, let's say it together, rivers of living water. This is the promise of the book of Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, we see this Antichrist. And so people get this and they say, who's the Antichrist? Maybe Obama's the Antichrist. I remember when the head of the Soviet Union was the Antichrist. I, I, there's been more Antichrists in the history of the world than there are actually spirits of Antichrist released in the world. What is this Antichrist that they're speaking of? Well, let me give you one interpretation of this Antichrist. The Antichrist is not this one bad person 
that we say is the evil one that we attribute all evil to. The spirit of Antichrist as released in the book, is revealed in the book of Revelation, is a spirit that moves among people. And the goal in the book is not to say all of our problems are that guy. It says, no, no, any of us, if we don't stay submitted to Jesus, could be that guy. And I need to look within me to see what issues in my heart are more than happy to tear out some of the tears with the wheat. Some of the things in my life that I'm willing to do evil things to bring about what I think to be good. I am willing to violate what God has told me because I think it's a little bit smarter for me to do it a different way than Jesus said. This is the Antichrist spirit that decides I have a better way than God's way. My way is probably going to help God out. And so the goal of this is not that we look and point fingers and say, there, there's the evil one. It says, no, no, no. I see evil. Do I see it in me? I see what they're doing in politics and the, and the, and the evil of, of, of this identity politics and putting one group of people against another group of people and that people's the good people and that people's the bad people. Is any of that in me? Am I buying into this? Am I buying into this narrative that there's the bad people and the good people? If I said that some people are wheat and some people are tares, because let me tell you the truth. At one point in my life, I was the tear. And Jesus did not pluck me out before my time and throw me into the fire. He let me grow up and become wheat. I'm so thankful for a, a patient God who allowed me to grow in the revelation that I could become wheat. I had a delusion that I thought I knew God, but I did not know God, and so I did evil things. But now I know. And now I can look at me and say, Carl, that, that thought in your heart, does that come from God or is that Antichrist? This is the point of this parable. Not that we judge, not that we allow sin, that, but the sin that we most aggressively deal with is in our heart. It's in our heart. I, I, I'm going to talk about politics for one more minute. It's the most obvious outward sign of hypocrisy and sin in our country today. And more Christians are excusing political sin as if Jesus says, don't sin unless you're running for office. That ain't in the book. You know who Jesus criticized the most? The Jewish politicians. The people that he cursed said, you will not inherit the kingdom were Jews who did evil things because they thought they were helping Israel by not following God and doing it Rome's way. And yet we have whole groups of Christians who say, well, in politics is different. We're voting for a pastor and we're voting for a president, not a pastor. We're voting for a governor. Not... What kind of stupidity is that? I'm not I'm, I'm voting for a politician. I just want you to do the job well. I'm not voting for a pastor. Of course, I'm not. That is that is not the metric and not the metric is not what do they do? The metric is what do you do? What, what am I allowing in my heart? When I get involved in the political discourse that is coming, will I leave my Christianity at the door? Or will I be a Christian while I talk about politics? I, I, I just want to give you a little language to talk about this, right? We, we, have, we, have, in our, we have in our country right now, we have, we have civil rights issues. Amen? We got some racial issues in our country. And they're significant, Right? We, we have some identity issues in our country. We got some people telling people things that I'm just like, no, no, don't do that to kids ever. Please don't, no. I, I, if you're, I'm, I'm, please don't be offended by what I'm about to say. Um, if you are an adult, you can make adult decisions with your body. Just I'm, What you do with you is between you and God. I honestly believe that, right? I may bless it, I may not. But I'm not your God. Operating on kids is devil. That's, that's demonic. This is evil, right? We, yeah, yeah, it's evil, right? Uh, it, but we have racial problems. We have some identity issues. And, uh, and uh, we, 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 got, uh, we got some abortion issues, right? You're like, well, I'm, I'm pro-abortion. Oh, I'm not, right? I'm not mad about it, though. I'd like to end abortion. I'd like women to know they're loved by Jesus. I'd like people to learn how not to get pregnant. That, that might help. I, I, you know, I, 
I, I didn't read this, and maybe if you're a doctor in the house, you can help me out, but I don't think there's ever been um, an abortion on a woman who wasn't pregnant. So I think that's how we should stop abortions. That's the easiest way, I think. Just keep, help girls not to get pregnant, right? Let's, let's not check our brains at the door here, right? And so people, I, I constantly get people who are like, well, pastor, I know you voted for this person. I'm like, you don't have any clue who I voted for. You, you just don't have any idea. The only person I've told is my wife. That's, that, that's it. And, and, uh, and, and it's funny because I, they run the gamut of, of who I voted for. And basically, it's like, the per, like if you're mad at me, I voted for the person you don't like. And if you love me, you think I voted for the person you like. I don't, and and that's, that's generally what has happened. And um, I want competent people running. And, and, but here's what I'm saying. You can tell people, you know, abortion is kind of a big deal to me. Not, you know, Democrats are the devil, right? Or you can say, ah, I'm really compelled by when Jesus said take care of immigrants. And uh, I really think that, you know, the way we've allowed children to be put in cages and separated from the family, I think that's demonic. And I'm not really for that without saying, you know, Republicans are devils, right? Like we, we got to clean up how we talk because we got to be Christians. We can't call somebody these names. We, we cannot call people the names of our enemy. Well, let's just be a little more mature. And, and they, they want you to react this way, and we, we can't. We have to be Christians. This, this will take self-control, but we have to do it. Amen? And we have to have a right heart so we can pray with a right heart. And so instead of looking for the Antichrist in an American party, let's look for it in our own hearts. The point is that each of us could be terrible people, and we need to recognize that. We want an enemy that we can our sense of justice that we can direct our sense of judgment and justice at. But that needs to be inward for the enemy working in me. Number three, and I'm almost done here. And, uh, and uh, Teddy, wherever you're at, come on, please. Um, we need to stand in faith. Number three, stand in faith. You need to stand in faith even, 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 even when you don't see, even when you don't see what you expect to see. Like Teddy coming on stage. Even when you don't see that, you've got to stand in faith, trusting that God is moving on our behalf, that the truth of God's word is moving. The truth of God's word is, is going forth. If, listen, if God has visited you and he has, and he has pierced that heavenly realm and that earthly realm, we have to stand on what he said. We have to stand on God's promises. We have to declare the word of the Lord over our lives. We have to stand on what God has revealed himself to be in our lives. We have to be obedient to what God has shown us. These three things I want us to put into our life in this next season. We need to know God is with us. We need to pray with the right heart, and we need to stand in faith. Can you say amen? Stand with me. We're going to receive the Lord's table now. We're going to do communion a little different today. I normally re re read uh, 1 Corinthians 11, but we're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to get a little more traditional. Is that all right? Yeah. Good, because we're going to do it either way. I'm going to read a prayer that we're going to say together, and then we're going to receive the Lord's table. <clears throat> we're going to read a prayer together, then I'm going to read it, and then, and then I'm going to read another part. Excuse me. If you need um, the elements, an usher would love to serve you. I'm going to read this out loud, and then we're going to read it together. And then we're going to receive the Lord's table. You ready? I pray this, I pray this prayer twice a day, at least twice a day. Uh, and you're going to pray. You ready, Anastasia? Again, I'm going to read it to you, and then we're going to read it together. It says, Most merciful God, we confess that we've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we've done, by what we've left undone. We've not loved you with our whole heart. We've not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We're truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. We're going to say it together now. You ready? Most merciful God, we've, we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we've done, and by what we have left undone. We've not loved you with our whole heart. We've not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We're truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, 
have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, have mercy on us. Forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life. Amen. Receive the body and the blood of the Lord.